All right. Well, good morning, everyone. Howdy. Howdy. <laughs> it is Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday. We're starting a new series around here that we're calling Impossible God. And so I want you to turn your Bible to Mark chapter 10 is where we're going to start here this morning. Mark chapter 10. And you can follow along the screens or there's Bibles in front of you in the chairs there if you don't have your own. So Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 17, it says, And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder. Do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, all of these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions, and Jesus looked around and said to the disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but, but Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man... It is impossible, but with God, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Now, here in these verses, the issue that Jesus was addressing with this young man really had absolutely nothing to do with this man's ability to obey the Ten Commandments. That really wasn't what Jesus was addressing here. What Jesus was interested on is what was really going on inside of this man's heart, and the purpose of these questions was to help this man identify what was actually controlling him, the things that he was attached to. And I think that this is exactly how Jesus comes to every one of us. He puts his finger on that one thing that we're unwilling to give to him. And I think this is so important for us to understand because for so many of us, just like this rich young ruler, we live our lives with this kind of deceptive dichotomy that's happening inside of us that most often we're just unfamiliar with. It's not until Jesus begins to put his finger on those things that we see these dichotomies in our life just like this rich young ruler did, this rich young man did uh, when Jesus put his finger on that issue of wealth inside of him. Because we say, maybe this is you, we say that we believe that God heals. But if we actually look at our lives and how we live our lives, so many of us um, we end up thinking, well, I must be the exception to that because I haven't yet experienced God's healing in my life. I believe that he heals, but I think I might be the exception. Or we say that we believe that God provides, but yet how we live our lives show that, well, I've got to make sure I do this, and I've got to make this happen, and I've got to provide for myself because otherwise nothing really significant is going to happen in my life. Or we say that we believe that God loves us unconditionally. But yet when we look at our lives and how we live our lives, I think for so many of us, we live our lives in a way where we're still trying to earn God's attention and his love and his mercy towards us. Or we say that we believe that nothing's impossible with God. But yet when you look at how you li live your life, 
it still has this evidence that certain things must be outside of God and what he was willing to do in my life. And so even though I, I say that all things are possible for God, I live my life in a way that shows us or exposes the fact that I really don't believe that to be true. And so we end up holding on to these two dichotomies and they pull us apart. And just like this rich young ruler here, Jesus puts his finger on these dichotomies in our lives and he asks us to give them up in order to fully follow him. Now, why does he do that? Why does Jesus do this? Well, I think it's because we tend to operate under these earthly or human paradigms that keep us living in the realm of what we think is possible, what we think is possible. We live within those paradigms of what we think we can do and what we think is possible, where Jesus is talking about that the kingdom of God, it functions under a whole different paradigm where all things are possible with God. This is what Jesus was addressing here. And as we ramp up to Easter and as we look forward to um, water baptism on the 30th, I want us to look at kind of how God addresses some of these issues in our lives and how he changes the way we think. Because so often our thinking can get in the way of what it is that God wants to do. Those impossible things, the way we think needs to change. Our paradigms need to change just a little bit. And so this morning, I'm going to look at a, a, one of the miracles of Jesus, probably the most incredible and pivotal miracle of Jesus' life. And it's a miracle that really assured that Jesus would fulfill God's purpose for him in going to the cross. Look at this in John chapter 11, starting in verse one. It says, now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who would poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, the sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Now stop right there, because isn't it interesting that even though the situation seemed dire, Jesus waited two more days. Isn't that interesting? I think it's so different for us because when a crisis happens in our lives, everything stops. And everything revolves around that crisis, but not so here for Jesus. And the reason is because Jesus' strategic decision, and mind you, it was a strategic decision on Jesus' part to wait an additional two more days. I believe it's rooted in his decision to not only trust God for Lazarus, but to trust God for his own future and for his own life. Something was happening in this story that was pointing to something that was going to happen in Jesus' life as well. Verse 8, but Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It's when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. Now, what is Jesus saying here? Think about what he's talking about here. Because Jesus is challenging his disciples to walk in the light of trusting God. Not walking in this light of darkness, of fear, of torment, of apprehension and regret. And this is exactly what they were going to need coming 
into this next future. Because over the next month, over these next four weeks, the plot to kill Jesus was going to increase, and he was eventually going to be arrested, and he would be flogged 39 times with that cat of nine tails, and he would eventually be crucified. And so they were going to need to walk in the light of trusting God and putting their faith and hope in God, even though they couldn't fully see what was happening. He was showing them something that was, they needed to do this for Lazarus, but there was something bigger here that they needed to learn at this point. Verse 11, after he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. But let us go to him. And so as was the norm with Jesus' disciples, they were completely confused by what he was talking about there. This worldview, this way of looking at the world, and this whole idea of putting your confidence in God's ability and his grace and his power, they're confu completely confused by all of this. Verse 16, then Thomas, also known as Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Now, Thomas, he's known as the cynic. He's known as the, the doubting one or doubting Thomas. And so leave it to, doubt, to doubting Thomas to kind of say what everybody else was saying. But it's interesting what Thomas does here. Because Thomas is kind of describing something that was in the disciples' hearts. Remember, they were looking for a ruler, a king, who would come and deliver them from the Roman Empire. And so they were expecting this, this showdown to happen. And they had already seen Jesus walk on the water and heal the blind man and, and heal the cripples. And he'd seen all these things. They'd seen he, he, Jesus raise people from the dead. So they'd seen all this. And so they were prepared. He is the Messiah. He's this ruler that's going to deliver us from the Roman Empire. And so what Thomas is talking about here, Thomas is talking about, all right, it's our time. It's time. These people are going to go back to this area where they're going to really... Go, create this, this fight and this battle, and so we're in this with you, Jesus. The problem, though, for Thomas was that he was willing to fight and die, but he wasn't willing to lay down his life and die. And there was a huge difference because how Jesus came wasn't to deal with the kingdoms of this world. He was coming to bring the kingdom of God and the reality of God's kingdom into our world today. Thomas didn't understand this. He was ready to fight for this cause. We can do this. Let's go back and do this. So for Thomas, he only had one way of thinking things were possible. Everything else for Thomas was impossible. Look at verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in his tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. In other words, if only. Jesus, if only. Martha was frustrated. She was angry. She was upset. She was disappointed, and she was heartbroken. Martha had seen Jesus heal people time and time and time again. And so she knew that Martha could, that, that Jesus could heal her brother. Martha knew that. She had faith for that. But now Jesus had showed up too late. If only. 
If only it would have happened this way, then their brother wouldn't have had to die. You know, I wonder how many if-onlys you have in your life. I wonder how many if-onlys that you're struggling with and, and grasping with even today as you come to church. Look at it in verse 23. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection uh, that last day. Now, what Jesus does here is so profound here with Martha, because instead of looking to the past, instead of dreaming what might have been, instead of dreaming what might not be right here today, Jesus invites Martha to look to the future. It's really interesting. He causes her to take his, her eyes off what's happening right here and right now and causes her to look towards the future. Now, Martha believed in the resurrection. Martha believed that the resurrection would happen someday in the future. She believed the vision that the prophet Isaiah had of, of, of heaven and of eternity. In Isaiah chapter 65 and Isaiah chapter 66, um, the prophet Isaiah writes down this vision that he has of a new heaven and a new earth and where we'll have new bodies and there will be no grief and there will be no pain, there will be no sorrow, there will be no death. All this is going to happen. So Martha believed this. But her response here in this situation shows that at that moment, it really didn't help her. It really didn't matter. Eternity was so far away that it didn't matter for right here and right now. But then Jesus does the oddest thing. Look at this in verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is, is to come into the world. Now watch what Jesus does here. Because Jesus introduces a whole new paradigm for Martha. Resurrection is not just a doctrine. Resurrection is not just a future event. Resurrection is a person. And here he was standing in front of Martha, asking her to take this leap of faith, this leap of trust. And so what was going on here was that the future burst into the present. The new creation and with it the resurrection had come from the end of time right here into the middle of time and had inserted it into Mary and Martha and Lazarus' lives. Verse 28, after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And so Mary and, and their friends joined Martha in expressing their frustration and their heart at Jesus. If you would have only been here, things would have been different. We wouldn't have had it gone through such agony. If you had just come here days earlier, Lazarus could have been healed. But now it's too late. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. It's the shortest verse in Scripture. Jesus wept. It's interesting. 
Because the authors, and when they put this, all this together, the Bible together by chapter and verses, they wanted us to make sure we stopped. How significant this was. Jesus wept. And the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? So think about what's going on here. Because Martha's crying, Mary's crying, all their friends are crying. Then Jesus asks where they have laid Lazarus. And then he cries as well. Look what's happening here. Jesus enters into the sorrow and the pain and the disappointment of death. It was real. It was honest. It was personal for Jesus. See, folks, Jesus entered to come into, into this world so that he would share our sorrows, share our sicknesses, share our discouragements and all, all those disillusionments in life. Jesus didn't just enter the world so that get to point us to something for the future. Jesus didn't just enter this world to give us some sort of understanding of God's goodness and his grace and his love for us right here and, and something that's just out there and for the future, but he came in order so that we don't just look towards the future of something, but that we can grab a hold of what he is doing right here and right now, that his presence is with us, his power is with us, his comfort is with us, his peace is with us right here and right now. Verse 38, Jesus once more deeply moved came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. I love how the King James says it. By this time he stinketh. <laughs> just call it as it is. He just stinketh. It's interesting because even though all this, this conversation is happening, Martha is still securely, firmly held by the facts of the situation. And so she knows that because she's been around Jesus, she's been around seeing Jesus heal, and she's even seen people raised from the dead. But every time else that Jesus was raised from the dead, he did it in a reasonable amount of time. <laughs> but now it's been four days that her brother has been dead and in this tomb, and so she knows what death does. She knows the veracity and the, how violent death is and that it's attacked her brother's body and there's a bad odor. Verse 40. And Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. And so by the power of God and by, for the glory of God, Lazarus is raised from the dead. And again, one of the things that I find so interesting here is that not only was Jesus trusting God to intervene in this situation, but Jesus was trusting that God would do the very same thing for his life, knowing what was he was heading into. That he, and he ex, Jesus experienced it right along with Mary and Martha, that God is capable of doing what is humanly impossible. And so what I want you to notice here are three paradigms that Jesus introduces here. And the number one is Jesus joins us in our suffering moments. Jesus joins us in our suffering moments. I think this is really important for us to understand. Because I think for so many of us, just like Mary and Martha, I think for so many of us, we're looking to God to get us out of our suffering. 
None of us like to suffer, do we? And so we look to God. We're looking to God. God, get me out of this. Make a way. I don't, I don't want to suffer. I don't want to go through this difficulty. We know that God can and that God is able to heal. We know that God can and is able to provide. We know that God can and is able to open these doors. But when it seems like God is not showing up, when it seems like God is not intervening in our situation, then what happens is that we become angry and we become upset and we become disillusioned. And then all of a sudden, doubt and unbelief begin to creep into our hearts. And so we end up holding on to these two dichotomies and they begin to pull us apart. On one side, I know that God is able and that he can. On the other side is I'm not seeing this manifested in my life. And as a result of these dichotomies, they begin to pull us apart. And more often than not, it begins to create this crisis of faith. But here, Jesus gives us a whole other paradigm. And that is that Jesus actually joins us in our suffering moments. He comes alongside of us during those difficult times. Hebrews 4, verse 14 says, Inasmuch then as we believers have a great high priest who has already ascended and passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession of faith and cling tenaciously to our absolute trust in him as Savior. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize and understand our weaknesses and temptations, but one who has been tempted, knowing exactly how it feels to be human in every respect as we are yet without committing any sin. Therefore, let us with privilege approach the throne of grace, that is the throne of God's gracious favor, with confidence and without fear, so that we may receive mercy for our failures and find his amazing grace to help in times of need and appropriate blessing coming just at the right moment. See, folks, you're not alone. You're not alone. You don't have to go through this by yourself. Jesus wants to come alongside of you in your suffering moments, and I'm telling you, it's enough. Not only that, it's more than enough when Jesus comes alongside of you in those difficult times. I've asked Jan Willoughby to come up here and share portions of her testimony, how she's experienced this for us. Why don't you give her a hand as she comes up and shares some of her story. Good morning. Um, so I can definitely relate to having Jesus be with me during my suffering moments. Um, I was born in Aberdeen, Scotland, and my dad was in the oil business and had a pretty good life. However, I immediately from a young age struggled and suffered with a lot of things. Um, regular things in life were hard for me. Going out in public was hard, uh, going, just going shopping, going to dinner, things like that. And I also experienced a lot of issues with what I know now is spiritual attacks when I was young, really bad nightmares and things and sleepwalking. And so then when I was eight, my parents divorced and we moved to Texas um, where a whole nother level of issues started and I started really struggling in school and having a hard time. And then by the time I got to junior high, I entered into relationships with the wrong people and started doing drugs. And once I realized there was an escape from the suffering that I was going through, um, I, it was all, all over. I went from being an honor student to show jumping horses, playing basketball, and swimming on a year-round league team to quitting everything and getting expelled from school. Uh, this continued for a few years, and I finally joined the Army because I, I couldn't do anything other than do drugs and hang out with my boyfriend. And so the Army was really good for me. I really enjoyed it. Um, it, I really excelled in that kind of environment. 
And however, I still wasn't living right. And I could hear Jesus tell me, because um, he was with me throughout all these times, you know, I got saved actually when I was really, really little, so young I don't even remember. And my mom used to tell me how I used to walk around telling everybody about Jesus and telling everybody how great Jesus is. And um, I just was suffering and had a lot of issues. And, you know, I was raised in a church that um, didn't talk about the Holy Spirit and didn't talk about the reality of God's presence here today with us and what all that meant. And so um, I asked Jesus, I said, can I please just deploy one time? Can I have one deployment and then I'll get out and I'll get my life straight? And so I deployed to Afghanistan and about halfway through, I was offered $25,000 reenlistment bonus and I took it. And then, so I came, right when we came back from Afghanistan, we went on a snowboarding trip and I thought because I could ski, I could snowboard drunk on moguls and it did not work out for me at all. Um, I ended up hurting my back really bad and never recovered from it. And I was immediately prescribed um, Oxycontin, Valium, Soma, and Percocet. And also, because um, of the mental health issues I had, I was on Seroquel and Gabapentin. And so, after the Army exhausted all means, there was just nothing that they could do because I was diagnosed with permanent things like left SI joint dysfunction, piriformis syndrome, myofascial pain syndrome, um, borderline personality disorder, and, and generalized panic slash agoraphobia. And so I was medically discharged. And usually, just to show you how hopeless the situation was, normally the Army will make you temporary for five years and then reevaluate you to see if you need to be permanently medically retired. And they just went ahead and permanently retired me right away. And so I got out of the Army. I was super, super depressed because the Army was everything. It was my whole identity. Um, everything I had was wrapped up in it. Um, and I came back here. I met a personal trainer because I still was trying to get my back fixed. And I met a personal trainer who introduced me to shooting up meth, which was the one thing I thought I would never, ever do because I hated needles. Um, but I was desperate and in a really bad place. And so ended up, never thought my life would go down the toilet so fast in a five-month period. Within five months, I'd been uh, forcefully admitted to the psych ward. I'd been arrested, gone to jail um, for possession of a controlled substance, and spent all my money, got evicted from two places, and it was just really, really bad. And so finally, I called my dad. And, and, and during this time, I was still addicted to all the pain meds as well. And so I called my dad and asked him for help, and I came actually to Spicewood. That's how I got to Austin, and went to treatment out there, and then moved to Lakeway. And still, so my back, I could not sit or stand for longer than five to ten minutes. So I would carry a yoga mat everywhere around with me. So for the first two years of being sober, I mean, I was off the hard stuff, but I was still on medications, heavily medicated and everything. And so I would go to 12-step meetings and carry a yoga mat with me and go lay down on the floor in the meetings because I couldn't sit or stand. So my life consisted of that and just sitting at home all day, smoking two packs of cigarettes a day and watching TV. And so I was having, the meth opened me up to a whole other level of demonic attacks. And so I was sharing with my Christian sponsor, and she led me to read the book, um, The Bondage Breaker. And it blew open the door to my freedom. Um, for the first time, I read The Grace of God. For the first time, I read The Inheritance I Had in Jesus. For the first time, I read that Jesus didn't just die to save us from our sins. He rose again in resurrection power. And... That same power has been given to me over the entire spiritual realm, and it, it just it changed everything. 
Um, I ended up um, meeting with some ladies who helped me apply the principles in that book through a deliverance prayer session. And that night, I'd been under conviction. Lord had been speaking to me throughout all this time. He never left me. And he said, how do you expect me to heal you when you're going to all these pills and smoking two packs of cigarettes a day? And he'd been speaking that to me for about three months. And the night that I went through the prayer session, I um, was under mass conviction just all night. And I flushed all the pills down the toilet down the toilet and threw away all the cigarettes I could do nothing but seek God straight for three days and had a massive spiritual experience um, I was in the heavenly realm here on earth <laughs> I experienced the full reality of what seated with Christ in the heavenlies truly truly means and um, I ended up getting healed you know my the Lord said pick up your mat and walk and so I picked up my mat and walked. <laughs> um, I renounced all the mental health issues um, because they were all spiritual. They were all spiritual bondage that in Jesus I could be freed from. And God is just so good. And, and I just want to encourage everyone that's here and let y'all know that there is nothing that God cannot do. There is nothing that is unforgivable, and that he loves you unconditionally, no matter what. And he wants us to be free and wants us to be walking in power. And I will leave y'all with my favorite verse. Um, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither things present nor future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is shown through Jesus Christ, our Lord. <laughs> Isn't that good? I'm telling you, when Jesus comes alongside of you, it's more, it's more than enough. Here's my second point, the second paradigm, and that is Jesus emphasizes our future and not our past. He emphasizes our future and not our past. And I love how he did this with Martha because he took Martha's attention off the past and off the if-onlys and off the if I, I wish I could have and I, and I wish I wouldn't have done this or I wish I would have done that. Jesus took her focus off of those things. I love how God does that with us as well. Psalms 103 verse 2 says, Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. He forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord gives righteousness and justice to all who are treated unfairly. He, he revealed his character to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all of our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as we deserve. For his unfailing love towards those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. I don't know about you, but I am so thankful that Jesus doesn't emphasize my past. 
but he gives me a future and he points my focus towards that where there's no more sickness, no more disease, no more temptation. They have no place. Second Corinthians 4 verse 16 says, therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Jesus gives us a whole other paradigm for how we are to live our lives by focusing on the future and not just focusing on our past. But I'm going to tell you something. As much as I love that, it's this third paradigm that really makes me excited. And that is, Jesus makes the impossible possible. Amen. Come on, now you need a better amen than that one. Amen. Jesus makes the impossible possible. I, Jesus told Mary and Martha, yes, the resurrection is a part of your future. But he also said, I am the resurrection and the life. And he brought the future, the reality of the future, into the middle of their fears and frustrations, in the middle of their loss and situations of death. Jesus brought the reality of the future into the middle of what they were going through. Listen, folks, this is the paradigm that God wants to bring you and me into. Mark chapter 10, verse 27. Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Mark 9, 22 through 24, have mercy on us and help us if you can. What do you mean if I can, Jesus asked? Anything is possible if a person believes. The father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. And John 14, verse 12 says, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. See, just like Jesus had this commission, we also have the same commission to bring the future that God has for us into the middle of what you're going through and what other people are going through. That's your commission. That's my commission to bring the reality of God's future what he has established into the middle of what's happening in our world today, into the middle of people's fears and disappointments and disillusionment, in the middle of needs and situations of death. Our commission is to bring this future into the right here and right now. Listen, folks, this is who Jesus is. That's who he is. This is the Jesus that we sing about this morning. This is the Jesus that we talk about, that we, we read scripture about. This is the Jesus that we're celebrating over this Easter season. And I'm telling you, this is the Jesus that wants to come alongside of you in every situation that you face in life. And this is the Jesus that wants to come alongside of you and cast your sins as far as the east is from the west. And this is the Jesus who wants to make the impossible possible in your life. I want to ask you just to close your eyes, if you would, please. And I don't want you to think about anybody else, but just yourself and what's going on in, in your own life here today. Psalms 138 says, though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the anger of my foes. With your right hand, you save me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Boy, let that one sink inside of you. The Lord will fulfill his purpose that he has for you. God, your love, O Lord, endures forever. You do not abandon the works of your hands. The reason why 
we can face the challenges and the difficulties that may come our way is because of what Jesus has done for you. You are not alone. God is working in the midst of what you're going through. And so I wonder if there might be some frustrations or fears or disillusionments or disappointments that you need to communicate to God this morning, that you need to voice, that you need to address. Maybe some sort of situation that doesn't make sense and you have these same if-onlys that Martha and Mary and their friends did. Is there something that you're holding on to where you're saying, God, you can have everything, but this one thing's for me. Is there something that you're holding on to? What, what dichotomies are pulling you apart and even creating a crisis of faith in your life? What's holding you back from God doing the impossible in your life? You want God to do something, but there's a barrier there. Do you know what those things are? You know what? God's putting his finger on even now in this moment? What are those things? What are those barriers? And then right here, right now, this is Palm Sunday. This is the time that we celebrate really the entrance of Jesus into our lives. The people at that time didn't know what was to come, but we have perspective. And we have perspective that, you know, life is not all rose-colored glasses. We have perspective that there's still suffering, there's still difficulty. But Jesus comes in the midst of that, still King, still Lord, still over all. Even those things that are confusing you right now, even those things that you feel tied up with, even those things that don't make sense, Jesus is still over all of those things. And so I want to ask you, would you be willing to let those go? For the rich young ruler, those things were too big. He couldn't let go of those things, the things that his heart was attached to. But here this morning, would you, Whatever those things that you might be holding on to, would you be willing just to let go of those things? I want to just lead you in a prayer here this morning before we take communion. And would you just say this out loud after me? Say, God, I need you. Say it out loud. God, I need you. I want you in my life. And I realize that I have these conflicting thoughts and they're pulling me apart. But today, I make the choice to surrender these thoughts, to surrender these ideas, to surrender these opinions, to surrender my disappointments, to surrender my if-onlys. I make a choice to surrender every one of those things and I let go of control and today I choose you I choose to follow you in Jesus name 
going to take communion here together. There's so much wrapped in this table that a lot of times just becomes a religious act. But I'm going to remind you what Jesus did in that Last Supper. Because knowing what was ahead of him, knowing what was coming, he was saying, let me show you how much I love you. Let me show you what is to come in this covenant that I want to make with you. This is a question that always needs to be answered. And it's a question of surrender. It's a question of, will I give my life? Because Jesus says, I am giving my life. I gave my life. Will you now give me your life? And so maybe there's some things in your life that you haven't fully given to him. This is a moment in time where you can say, okay, now Jesus, I'm going to let go. I'm going to give all of these things to you. The Bible describes for us that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he gave thanks and he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The reason why he can come alongside of you in your suffering is because he suffered for us. After the supper, he took the cup and he said, this is my blood of the new covenant that's poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sins. This is what he said, I will take your sins and cast them as far as the east is from the west. You no longer have to carry those weights. And he says, because of that, you now can have a right relationship with God. You can hear God's voice. You can know God for yourself. So he said, do this in remembrance of me. That's what we're going to do here right now. There's a table in front of each of these two sections. So how we'll do this is that we'll start with the front row. You'll exit on your right. You'll circle around, get a piece of bread, dip it in the juice and then take it back to your seat. And right there in that moment, just have that period of time with God. We'll go from front to back. Let's do this here together. But as we celebrate this holy week of all that you have done, how you have given your life for us so that we can have life. How you come right, ar right around us, right, right with us in everything that we go through. Lord, I pray for every one of us for that spirit of wisdom and revelation, that spirit of truth to work inside of our hearts so that we can know how great and deep and high your love is for us. That, God, that this wouldn't just be a religious week of some sort, but, God, this would be this week where we encounter you in our lives and what we're going through. And so, Father, I pray that this would be a time and a season of greater surrender for every one of us, that we would just continue just to say yes to you, yes to your will, yes to your ways, yes to your purposes for us. God, you would work that deep inside of us. And Lord, I thank you, just as Jan said, that there is nothing that can separate us from your love. That our past can't separate us from your love. There's, there's nothing too horrific or difficult that can separate us from your love. 
that what may seem impossible for us is possible with God. And so, Father, as we celebrate you coming to earth to intervene in our life, this incredible divine love story of rescue for us, Lord, I pray that we would encounter even more of you in our lives, that we would hear your voice more clearly in everything that we do. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We'll have people up front here that they just kind of stick around here to pray with you, for you, and whatever you are facing and whatever you are going through. Let me say it again. I say this every Sunday. You do not have to walk through this life by yourself. Not only does God want to come alongside of you, but you have his people. The body of Christ is what the Bible describes. To come around you, to hold you up, to support you. Because sometimes we just can't pray for ourselves. And you need somebody to pray for you. These people will stick around here. We, and I hope everybody will stick around, are doing a, a potluck picnic. And the kiddos are really excited to go find some eggs. And so parents, you better not leave because they might be upset at you. Whether you... Whether you came prepared or not, we always have plenty of food, so please, just stay. Just stay, hang out. It's a great day outside. Just hang out, meet some new people if you're here new. Um, introduce yourself, and we'll have a good time here this afternoon. But before I dismiss you, let me just speak a blessing over your life. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. And may the Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift His countenance upon you and now give you peace. Everyone have a fantastic week. Go in peace, everybody. Stick around. Let's have some fun together. God bless you all.